Any views and opinions expressed are those of the authors and or participants and do not necessarily reflect the views, policy, or position of the Gastroenterology Learning Network or HMP Global, its employees and affiliates. Welcome to this podcast from the Gastroenterology Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Rebecca Mashaw, and I'm very pleased today to have with us Dr. Gideon Hirschfield, the Lily and Terry Horner Chair in Autoimmune Liver Disease Research at the Toronto Center for Liver Disease, which is part of the University of Toronto. Thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Hirschfield. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to chat to you today. So let's start off with the basics about primary biliary cholangitis, which is our topic for today. How prevalent is this condition? Are there certain populations that are at a higher risk? And what's the prognosis for people with PBC? Let's just get get a few basics. I think that's a a great question. So I think of it as a common rare disease, um, which around about three per 100,000 people per year get diagnosed with PBC. An easier way to remember how many people are living with PBC is to think that one in a thousand women over the age of 40 live with PBC. And most of our patients are living with PBC for many decades. So it's not as infrequent as people think. Um, It's autoimmune. It's predominantly woman, but we see it all over the world and in in all heritages. So um, everyone um, will come across it. And in fact, most PBC is looked after by community gastroenterologists, not by hepatologists. And why is that? Because that's where it's diagnosed and making a diagnosis of PBC is relatively straightforward. Our patients present with or without symptoms with elevated liver tests, in particular in alkaline phosphatase. You diagnose PBC largely without a liver biopsy by doing something known the anti-mitochondrial antibody test. And so our um, diagnosis is relatively straightforward. And these patients are being referred to GI first before hepatology with abnormal liver tests. And it's part of the standard standard workup to make the diagnosis. And then it's because for a large majority of patients with PBC, care remains ambulatory, it remains in the clinic. So it's a really perfect disease for office-based practice. I see. What led you and your team to investigate the potential of this new medication, Saladopa? You know, we're, we're very keen to make sure that everyone living with PBC gets the best treatment. And for many decades, the only treatment was a drug called ursodeoxycholic acid, which you give in gram quantities and which kind of soothes the liver. Then in 2016, there was a conditionally approved drug called abetacolic acid became relevant for the second line management of PBC. And that was a a step forward. And you give that drug to patients who don't do well enough on ursodeoxycholic acid or who are intolerant of it. And we define well enough based on your blood tests. So in essence, if your blood tests don't get um, to to beneath a certain level, the ALKFOS stays high, then you're eligible for second line treatment. And abetacolic acid was a step forward, but it's not the most potent, and it does have a side effect burden, in particular, pruritus. The new drugs that are being developed um, are drugs that target, in particular, something called the PPAR pathway, which are nuclear receptors, which are important in controlling bile acid um, turnover and bile acid metabolism. And Celadelpa is a particularly interesting molecule because it's a selective PPAR delta. It's a DELPAR. 
So this drug is very particularly um, agonistic against the PPAR delta nuclear receptor. And these receptors are found in hepatocytes and cellate cells and biliary epithelium. So the question arises, um, does this drug, given in milligram quantities, really improve blood tests in patients with PBC? And by that, does it improve cholestasis? And by that, does it improve response to treatment when ursodeoxycholic acid is not enough? And so the purpose of this study was to look further at the effect of celadelpar against placebo in patients with PBC whose treatment is considered to be insufficient because their blood tests start off abnormal despite the first line treatment. And then the question arose, how effective is it? And to measure effectiveness, we're able to look at blood tests, um, symptoms, and of course, safety. So what did you find out in the course of the study? What kind of results did you get? So it, it's exciting because, you know, it's nice to see for a common rare disease that there, there's hope for new drugs for patients. Because what we saw that after three months of treatment with Celadelpa, a selective PPAR Delta agonist, um, patients had significant improvement in their liver tests and in their serum biochemistry. So the first thing we can say is that placebo was not very good. And if you stayed on placebo, there was hardly any change. If you took 10 milligrams of Celadelpar by three months of treatment, um, there was a response as defined by a drop in um, alkaline phosphatase beneath a certain threshold um, of around 80% of, of patients were responders. And one in three patients nearly had a normal alkaline phosphatase. Um, and more to the point, um, on top of that, not only was there biochemical improvement in the disease control compared to placebo, so one in three normalized the alkaline phosphatase, eight out of 10 met the primary endpoint, which is a comp composite biochemical response of alkaline phosphatase. But, you know, um, there was also an improvement in pruritus. And for anyone who looks after patients with PBC, they'll know that symptoms are very important. And in PBC, itch is one of the symptoms that we really do um, think is very important and is really significant burdensome, a burden for our patients. And Celadelpon not only improved liver biochemistry, but it also improved pruritus. This is also relevant because the current second line therapy um, actually can make itch worse. So mm -hmm. all in all, you know, the participants and all my um, co-investigators and the sponsor were very excited by the results to demonstrate biochemical efficacy and an efficacy signal on symptoms. You mentioned that women are more likely to present with this condition. What's the division in population? How many women to men develop this autoimmune illness? Yeah, it's a great question. So on average, it's about nine women for one man. I mean, there are some data wow. with us that we aren't diagnosing more men, but it really is fascinating. You do not see... Um, this disease until uh, a woman is post-pubertal. And um, you then see women over the entire life. Average age is, is closer to 40 to 50 um, to diagnose, and 90% of patients tend to be female. Um, you also see that if a woman gets the disease younger, they get a more potent version of the disease. And indeed, the younger patients are the ones we're most keen to develop second line therapies such as Celadelpa. So the therapeutic armamentarium against this illness has been pretty shallow to, to this point. This Does this represent a real step forward in treatment 
Well, we hope so. I mean, so that, so that so ursodeoxycholic acid is, is is a good drug, but at least a third of patients don't respond sufficiently to it, and it's a drug that we give in gram quantities because we don't really know how it works. A better cholic acid was definitely a step forward because it showed people that we could develop second line therapies for PBC, but the biochemical efficacy um, is, is not optimal and there's a, there's a pruritus burden. So the new drugs in phase three, and, and, and Celadelpa is a good example of the new drugs in phase three, are a step forward, do represent something to be excited about because we're moving into the era of treating this disease with drugs that are very potent, uh, you know, are small tablets taken once daily, which are highly efficacious, where the majority of people see a significant improvement in their blood tests. And on top of that, there's an improvement in their quality of life. So we do predict that drugs such as Celadelpar, such as will follow from this study, which will, is, will then have to be replicated in the ongoing um, sort of approval study, will be really a big step forward and will represent a drug that community gastroenterologists feel at ease using, not only because it's simple, but because it's effective. Is this drug oral? Is it an infusion, an injection? How is it administered? No, no, this isn't oral therapy. This is easier. Our goal is to prevent end-stage liver disease and prevent cirrhosis. Drugs such as this, which will improve liver tests, which are taken orally every day, suppress um, potently and sustainably um, the, the liver injury. And if we do that, our prediction and everything we, we know about PBC is that our prediction is that we will stop this disease progressing. Patients will have better liver tests. Some will normalize their tests, better quality of life. And most importantly, we'll never develop cirrhosis. That's our goal. So that was going to be my next question. What's the prognosis for those with PBC, both without treatment and with treatment? Yeah, well, it's changed a lot. I mean, before ursodeoxycholic acid, most of the patients were developing cirrhosis and getting liver failure. Ursodeoxycholic acid came along and remains first line treatment because everyone benefits and there's a significant improvement um, and reduction in progression to cirrhosis. Second line treatment such as this will have to prove that, but it takes a long time to do that. But it's our expectation that that um, second line therapies such as this that improve liver tests significantly will have a major impact um, on development of cirrhosis. And already, you know, with first and second line treatments, so that's Ursa and OCA, already rates of liver transplantation are going down for PBC. But I mean, the other reason this is so exciting is that liver transplantation as an endpoint is somewhat arbitrary because there's usually an age cutoff. Whereas our patients are now living into their 80s and 90s because that's normal life um, expectancy now. So we really want to be offering them very simple oral therapies that are very potent and effective so that their PBC is never an issue, even if it's in their 80s. So let's talk about safety. Does Celadelpar have any kind of risks that the community gastroenterologist needs to be aware of? And how does that balance with the benefits? Well, I mean, at present, the answer is it looks very safe. I mean, these are early days. This this was a three-month study. There's a, There's been long-term safety for many years now in some of the other studies of Celadelpar, and there's an ongoing phase three with a long-term safety extension as well, which is ongoing. You know, to date, um, th this drug appears to have no significant safety concerns that the community GI would, would need. And in addition, you know, would be monitored for in the standard of care, which is to do blood tests routinely anyway in the in the evaluation of patients with PBC. Now, clearly, we're talking about patients who've not got liver failure. No one is, um, we don't have the data 
on the safety for patients with, with liver failure, but that wouldn't be where you'd be looking to derive any benefit from a drug like this. So the whole point of drugs like this, you know, um, is to, to use it to prevent end-stage liver disease. There were patients with cirrhosis in this study, and there was nothing to suggest that there was any um, added adverse events. So I'd say as an investigator, we're comfortable and confident that th this drug as with other drugs in development, um, has, a, has an appropriate safety signal um, and will be a drug that uh, the community can, can use um, without, without concern. We're always very attentive to detail, as are the sponsors for safety, uh, and it's continually evaluated in an ongoing manner. Um, but no, nothing, um, nothing worries us at present, and there's no specific um, safety monitoring being recommended to my knowledge. And as you mentioned earlier, not only does it not exacerbate the itching, but it appears to help relieve that symptom as well, correct? Yes, and symptoms are very important to our patients with PBC, and we hope that this is the first of many new drugs that will improve symptoms. And those, those symptom complexes that are important to our patients are pruritus, which is itch, fatigue, abdominal discomfort, not sleeping so well. You know, we hope to be able to see that there's an improvement in sleep if people are not itching at night and that that then translates to less fatigue during the day. So all in, I mean, this is, this is um, good drug discovery and good um, sort of natural history of how you, you, you get better as you try harder when you learn how to treat diseases effectively. And it's interesting because typically you think about itching as not a, not a major deal. You might itch with a mosquito bite, but we're talking about major pruritus that is a serious quality of life oh, yeah. issue. It, it, itch is miserable. You know, you're itching, your hands and feet, ants and feels like ants under your skin. You itch at night so you don't sleep, so you're tired during the day. People don't understand it because they can't see the any bites, so they wonder why you're itching. You, it's hard to explain. Um, so without doubt, pruritus is one of the more miserable symptoms in in liver disease, in particular PBC, which is a bile duct disease. And we think that it's um, something to do with the cholestasis, the liver injury, and then something locally around um, nerve fibers um, and um, release of some, some cytokines. And it's interesting, I just got back from the European Association for the Study of Liver Disease in Vienna, and there was a nice um, a set of data um, from this trial, actually, where they showed that uh, a cytokine called IL-31 went down when you gave patients celadelpine, it went down in association with the itch going down. So it was, it's nice to start to piece together the biology, um, albeit when we've already shown that it, it's an anti-itch um, uh, effect in, in the study. But it may have clarified why these patients itch so badly. This is yeah. you have the, 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 the catalyst there. I hope so. I, unfortunately, or fortunately, itch has proved to be a really complex symptom to understand. So I wouldn't like to say that we're at the end of the story, but I would like to say that the fact that the story is starting to have more chapters and more pages and, you know, that there's evidence that there's an association between celadelpa efficacy biochemically and an itch um, on IL-31, which is a cytokine that we recognize to be involved in, um, in, in the itch process, I think is, is very interesting. I, I, I wouldn't like to know, I, we, we don't know yet whether it's specific to this drug or it's specific to the pathways. And, and that, that's something that there's gonna be ongoing research for.
Well, and that leads to my next question, and that is, do you have additional research planned on this subject and using this drug in additional uh, studies? For sure. I mean, th th this is a drug that's in phase three that's fully recruited to my knowledge where, you know, that's hoping to be the um, registration trial. Um, and, you know, pleasingly, patients who are getting the drug in the trial are staying on the drug in the long term safety extension so that over many years, the idea is that you can show that this change in biochemistry and symptoms actually translates to living longer. Uh, so it's not just your blood test getting better, but actually your, your life is longer. So there's a lot going on in the PBC field at the moment. And this is one of the, the drugs that's in phase three where there, there's going to be um, new information. Is this trial uh, multinational? Is it taking place in Canada and the U.S. and perhaps even other nations? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. The, the, the study that I've talked about today and the, the other phase three programs and indeed all of the, the phase two and phase three projects that are ongoing in PBC and related diseases are international efforts. This is a rare disease. We work closely as a community of, of investigators and sponsors. Um, and this is uh, in the US, it's in Canada, it's in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we'll look forward to finding out more about how this progresses. And good luck with the remainder of the trial, but it sounds like this is very promising treatment for a patient population that hasn't had many options until now. I agree. It's never been as good to have PBC. What a, a strange thing to say. But I mean, but it's true. There's going to be newer and better drugs and more and more options for our patients.